0: Welcome to the Laravel I.O. podcast. My name is Sean McCool, and I'm here with Taylor Otwell and Jeffrey Way. Thanks for coming, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's been a long time. Yes, this is the most sought-after
1: podcast edition we've ever done.
2: (laughs) It's weird. I think people actually listen to this podcast. I get a lot of tweets about it.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: I know you know the number, Sean, but I have no idea who listens to this podcast.
1: This is definitely very in demand, though. I've gotten a lot of... um, a lot of people pinging me asking when the next Laravel.io podcast is. So we have faithful listeners well, awesome. devoted
0: to our cause. Well, thank you faithful listeners for listening <laughs> faithfully. So what's up? Well, I thought maybe you, uh, kick it off with telling us about your new lifestyle change.
1: Yeah. Big lifestyle change. Um, uh, so recently I, I, um, I went on vacation to Florida. Uh, which was great. We had great weather and I worked on Laravel at night. It was like this perfect Laravel bliss, um, all week and I got to enjoy the beach during the day. But while I was at the beach, um, I had actually thought about, you know, Laravel's future and stuff and, and just how I wanted to take Laravel forward and what things I wanted to be involved in and so forth. And, um, when I, one of the things I actually thought about was going, uh part time on Laravel proposing some kind of part time gig uh to Ian at UserScape um which would basically be an increase I'm already on 20% Laravel time or I was uh with UserScape which was basically donated on the behalf of UserScape since I was still paid for that time um but you know I wanted to increase that to 50% you know some kind of every other week or every other every 2 weeks or, or whatever but an increase in that time uh, that I had on Laravel. Uh, but I wasn't sure how that would really go over with Ian. Well, things kind of worked out in a way where he kind of proposed that to me. Um, after I got back, you know, since Laravel is getting pretty large and, and requires you know, more and more time, especially with various side projects like forge and envoy and even cashier and stuff has poor requests sitting out there that I haven't really been able to get to. And so uh, long story short, now I am 50% user scape, 50% Laravel. So every other week I work entirely on uh, Laravel and of course the other weeks I work entirely on basically Snappy at user which is, which is cool because I kind of get to work on, you know, both things and, um, it's kind of a nice little setup. So this is my first week on Laravel. I've already done like a ton, even though I'm only halfway through my second day, but, uh it's been really awesome. It's going to allow me to devote so much more time to the framework, really more time than I've ever devoted to Laravel um since I'll be spending literally half the year working on it. So it's pretty, it's going to be pretty awesome, I think, and we'll just not only help me polish up what's out there, you know, existing stuff, which uh maintaining poor requests and just adding general polish to the overall branding and uh ecosystem, but then also kind of being involved in some new things and new ideas um, for community stuff and uh, conference stuff and all that so i think it's going to be really cool
2: yeah you'll have time to tackle stuff that you probably just never had time before all that stuff where it's like yeah i'd love to get to that but you know there's only so many hours in a day yeah stuff that was essentially
1: stuff that was essentially just dreams you know just to like oh wouldn't it be nice or like even if i could i would had thought about i could just hire someone to do some of this other stuff you know but uh now i can actually uh, focus on some stuff myself that i never would have even thought possible uh before
2: it's pretty exciting i mean when you think laravel's gotten to where where it is right now on part-time work i mean oh that's crazy especially when you think about like all right now that you have full time to put toward this or at least you know two weeks out of the month it's exciting yeah can't wait to see what you have stored up your sleeve.
1: yep it's gonna be pretty cool. um you know, gosh, I mean, you can just get so much done even with just one week of total focus on something and to be able to build momentum throughout the week. Um, so yeah, I can't imagine you know I've basically more than doubled my time on the framework um and most people that run open source projects don't get any time at all. you know it's all. It's all on their own, and even twenty percent time was was pretty nice to be able to keep up mainly with GitHub issues and pull requests. I didn't really have a lot of time to um, explore new ideas or do anything uh, kind of interesting. It was mainly just kind of like fire patrol on GitHub, but now I can actually explore some some more interesting things.
0: Ian provided a lot of time for you to work on Laravel, but yeah. even before that, do you feel do you have any thoughts on? like, what a slow-moving project can accomplish, like, slow but steady, versus just putting it all your time into it, like, sometimes it feels like, you know, we have to do?
1: Yeah, I think it can still, code-wise, it can still accomplish a lot, I mean, so many projects have, but to do, to do, like, other things, like supporting things, even things like, um... Even things like Homestead or especially things like a or something like that takes so much time investment that it's hard to do part time. I think if you just focus on pure code and not really any other community activity things, you can do quite a bit. But when you start throwing other things into the mix and then even like other products into the mix, like uh, Laravel Forge, it becomes really hard to maintain on your own. But, yeah, I mean, we probably could have sustained Laravel. As things were, you know, we probably could have kept the ship going and afloat, so to speak, but in order to like really press ahead, which I think Alaraville's, or at least I've always tried to have kind of a focus on always kind of staying on top of things and pushing things forward and not letting things stagnate, then I think this will open up or make that a lot easier.
0: It's incredible just how much time it takes to maintain, like, an open source project. We have, uh, like, this backup manager that Mitchell and I work on, and we have every intention of continuing to work on it and improving it, uh, and that's happening. But it feels like progress is so incredibly slow because we need to be, you know, looking at people's issues, their pull requests, working our normal lives, and actually making the changes we need to make takes a serious amount of time. And I, I wonder, sometimes people have, you know, half of a dozen or more uh, actual open source projects out that's actively being supported. And it's just, it's remarkable to me just how much effort it takes. There are times when somebody, you know, in our team says we should release this as a package or something. And I think I cannot handle supporting <laughs> another open source project.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially like the types of things we're talking about, like even a database backup package like you have so many people with so many different database setups and same way with Laravel like people have so many different ways of wanting to do things that these kind of packages I think are especially hard to maintain because you just have so many different voices and opinions on that kind of thing whereas when you have like a really opinionated library like um, gosh I don't know um, like just like an API wrapper or something like that's you know you can be the issues are not going to be rushing in, you know, as long as there's no like outstanding bugs, it's going to be a pretty stable thing and no one's really going to complain about much. But yeah, these type of technical, like framework-y type things are, have so much, uh, so much GitHub activity to them.
0: So are you excited about Lyricon, Taylor?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm, a uh, gosh, this is, I mean, there's so many speakers. It's going to be, it's going to be so cool because I don't know. It's just, There's such a big variety of topics, such a big variety of speakers that I think everyone's going to be able to find something that like really interests them or that they really want to hear. So, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm excited to meet everyone. It's always fun to meet everyone from uh, Twitter and and
0: IRC and and the interwebs in general. It's really interesting. You have a lot of topics, and and I love going to presentations and and getting somebody's insight into something that maybe I didn't mess with, but... When you have like this Twitter feed of all these people and you know, you hear people talking in the PHP community and everything online and then you actually get to meet them, it's, it's, uh, that's to me my favorite part.
1: Yeah. The social aspect is always just so much fun. Just kind of, I mean, even if there was a conference where there was no talks and it was just hanging around, like I would still probably go to that conference just cause it's, <laughs> it's fun just to sit around and kind of chat with people about, uh, you know, life and what they're working on and programming. Whatever. So th- I think I think the talks are almost just like the seeds for the for the for the social conversations you have in between.
2: It's tough, though. I would think like as an organizer of a conference, you have to like you're dealing with so many different personality types. So you have the people who they really are. They're, they're going there to learn, you know, and it's yeah. usually conferences maybe aren't the best way to do that. But then you have yeah. people that are going because it's kind of a business vacation. You have people going just to socialize. So I would imagine, like, as somebody organizing these conferences, it's tough because everyone has different expectations. So some people, they're just not into the socializing aspect. That's not what yeah. they're there for.
1: Yeah, we yeah. had that with Laracon in uh, New York, actually, where, I mean, before the conference, I, I kind of had it, like I said, in my mind, where it's mainly about the social thing and the networking and the talks. I mean, we want to have good talks, but it's kind of half and half, so to speak. But, I mean, there we did get email responses after the conference. I mean, not a lot, but we had one or two people that felt like they came to Laravel conference or Laracon basically not knowing Laravel. And they wanted to learn Laravel at Laracon. And they were disappointed that they, they felt like they didn't. And, yeah, that's basically like an impossible problem to solve because it's not know,
2: what so, it's
1: for. Yeah. So many different types of people and different, um, intentions coming to the
0: conference. But yeah, the vast majority of people are going to have a great time and, and love it. I honestly think it's, if I could do one thing, uh, at Laracon that I wasn't able to do this year, it would be to actually provide workshops for completely beginner Laravel education, basically. Yeah, that
1: would be cool. I could see, um, you know, especially, companies or small like freelance shops that are just getting into Laravel or want to send a team of developers to get up to speed that would be a really good value.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of teams like I know of a company who's who's out here that they're converting this really uh very narrowly focused group of developers into the web app support team, and they're going to be working with Laravel. So they're looking for somebody to really just say, hey, this is PHP, this is object-oriented design, this is Laravel, you know, and just kind of get people on base. I think there's probably a lot of that going on. Yeah, more and more
1: as Laravel is kind of, you know, it started out as kind of something individuals were using, and now that it's really infiltrated a lot more corporations, yeah, I think we'll see more and more of that.
0: So Jeffrey, I'm I'm really sad that I won't be able to see you this summer, but um, I have to thank you so much uh, for you and you know your work with Laracast and and helping support the conference with your sponsorship.
2: Yeah, I'm so sad I can't go. This will be the first conference that I haven't attended, or actually the first one I've never spoken at. So, yeah, I'm gonna miss it. It just turned into one of those things. I have a, a family engagement that I can't get out of. It's been on the books for months. So I'm very sad about that. I will definitely be back if there's a Europe conference next year or at least uh, at the very least one in the U.S. Because I do love going.
1: Sounds like a perfect opportunity for a kidnapping.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, Make a note about that. I am not oh. an accomplice. If something weird happens in the future, <laughs>
1: what if Jeffrey really did get kidnapped and it was, but it was just like totally coincidence? I would be like a suspect in that.
0: Yeah, the prime suspect. I would. I have to say, I had nothing to do with any of this.
2: <laughs> My wife would be like Jeff. It's funny you got kidnapped, but I see that you were speaking here the day that you were kidnapped. Like, oh, I don't know in anything about that. Time. Um,
1: they, they kidnapped you and forced you to speak. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I don't have a talk prepared. Talk.
0: Just just start.
1: <laughs> talk about Laravel drama kidnappings.
0: Uh, so well, we actually sold out um, today. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, That's good news. And if anybody's listening and they wanted a ticket but they weren't able to get one, I highly recommend you go to the website as fast as possible and join the waiting list because it is not – infrequent that somebody can't make it and they ask for a refund for their ticket. So uh, tickets are going to be opening up even to, you know, just before the event starts. So if you sign up for that wedding list, first come, first serve, I'll be emailing people out and hopefully I hear from them quickly or else I have to go to the next people. But that's kind of how it's going to roll. But uh, it's going to be a packed house and there's going to be a lot of interesting people uh, to talk to and learn from. So I'm really excited about that. Um, We're trying something new this year. So last year we did a day and a half and... This year we're doing three full days. So it's actually quite a bit more to organize. Many more speakers. Uh, 12 speakers at the main event. And then the day before the main event, we're having a community day. And that's kind of an interesting experiment. We're trying to see if we can, you know, give a bunch of community members a chance to talk, first of all, and then give people a chance to, you know, discuss many different topics. So we're going to have a number of full length talks, but then, uh, a lot of lightning talks too that you can choose to, between this, that, and that talk to go to a couple tracks of lightning talks. So I, I hope it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I heard that Taylor was going to give a kind of a Q and A type panel situation. So a lot of yeah. people can, you can come out there and troll him all you'd like, please. I love Q
1: and A's. I think those are, some, those are one of my favorite things to do. Uh, that sounds really like, gosh, I don't know. That didn't come out right. I no, love I it think when I'm the great. center of attention and people ask me questions. <laughs> no, but I, re- I just really like uh, fielding questions because you just get so many. Uh, people ask good questions, like thought-provoking questions, I find,
0: a lot of the time. Yeah, my, my favorite part of giving a talk is always the end when, you know, you get to discuss some idea with somebody else instead of just broadcast one direction.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: So that's kind of the skinny with Laricon. Um what else we have lined up? Let's see here. Laravel I.O. and I feel like I should you know bring this up. Uh, originally uh Nick Spelt and I put together the original Laravel Laravel I.O. and he did the design and I did some of the back end stuff and uh we got that all running. But l- more lately we just you know with Laricon and just everything else, we haven't really had time to work on it. Uh my associate Mitchell and I had been building this next version branch with a lot of new ideas and and things that we were learning, and that ended up being like our playground for trying to figure out a bunch of new ideas. What ended up happening is we had like three or four different techniques all mixed together, and our goal was to go back and unify it because we knew what was going on because we were deeply in the, in the code base. But unfortunately, we haven't didn't find the time to continue working on it. But we did find somebody who's a long standing you know Laravel community member. His name is Drees. Fence, and he is behind Laravel Weekly, and he has been helping with. He's helping very, very seriously with both Laracon EU conferences. He's just a, a stand-up guy, and uh, he's going to be. He has a lot of ideas and a lot of motivation to keep working on that system. And uh, the way he wants to take it is, he doesn't want to go out and clean up after our mess, which I don't blame him, because like I said, there's like four different algorithms in there for like the same fundamental concept because we were just trying new ideas and so that's the next version branch went away uh, i moved it backup to my own personal github account so if anybody wants to look at that that's there but he's going to be uh managing that system and so uh, i'm very happy to kind of pass those reins on to him i know he'll do a great job and that's kind of the future of laravel.io right now nice laravel.io
1: i get uh that uh Help system is pretty cool. I've used that a few times with um, IRC. How does that work? What Help system. They, uh, people on Laravel.io can like fill out a few like questions about their problem. And so it gives you like more context instead of just like a paste dump of their code,
0: which uh, can be pretty useful sometimes when you're debugging stuff.
2: Yeah, that's a cool idea.
0: Yeah, I think it's mostly used by the IRC support channel and yeah. you can find that Form at help.laravel.io, and it just gives them a an IRC a chance to actually understand what you're talking about.
2: <laughs> it is amazing when developers don't naturally know how to ask for help. You would think they would be the most sensitive to these things. Like, all right, you can't just spit you know spit out 500 lines of code and expect me to debug it. You know, nobody wants to do that, but people do it over and over, or they're they're so bad that they won't even leave a code snippet. It just baffles my mind a little bit. We should, I mean, we know better than this stuff. So it's weird when developers are constantly doing that. When you have to say, can you send me a code example? Like countless times. It drives me nuts a little bit. Is Jeffrey
0: with some PTSD?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I have to deal with it a lot. I'm not, you know. Yeah, not get anyone, but it, it, it happens so much. This is just basic stuff. If you want help, we need to see some code, and that doesn't mean a thousand lines of that you just copied and pasted.
0: The hard part for me is translating what somebody's saying into a, a, a language I understand, because it's it's not that, you know, they don't have an idea what they're doing, and they're telling me they're giving me enough information, you know, a lot of times, but it's trying to translate that into something that makes sense to me because we're just. So we have such different experiences and everything that the communication is just broken. So you end up going back and forth with 20 questions, trying to get a basic idea of what's even happening.
2: One of the hard ones is when somebody is like, hey, I did a composer install and it errored out. And it's like, you know how it gets weird, like you're pulling in some package, but that's referencing a different version than another package. And it gets kind of confusing. I hate dealing with those. (laughs) Because many times it's like you can read it, but sometimes you just... Have to do trial and error to figure out what you need.
0: Well, it's debugging, man. You you gotta go back to the latest working thing and isolate until you figure out what breaks.
2: Yes, but not with somebody else's code. I'm talking (laughs) about like support. No, no, I'm talking about them. I don't have time to figure this out.
0: You do. Hmm. I'm not
1: sure, but I feel like PHP Storm could help us with this problem somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
0: Hey,
2: speaking of that, did you guys see that uh, there's now Blade support in PHP Storm?
0: Yeah, it's only the uh the PHP Storm eight EAP. This is
2: the EAP. It's actually pretty <laughs> reliable. I know like it's buggy, well. but it's like time.
1: Sublime Text nightly build. Like everyone's on the nightly build. Why else yeah. would why would you be on any other thing?
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I I just need all those nice PHP Storm 8 features. But at the same time, there have been times like the previous EAP before this one, the audio complete would crash, and so you get this little yeah. notification in the corner saying, "Oh, this part of your IDE crashed." It's it's amazing that how how much PHP Storm is like its own operating system, though. Uh, <laughs> You know, it handles everything. You can go and browse plugins, install plugins, send error messages, everything. I have a feeling if P, uh, Sublime Text crashed, there ain't nothing happening. It's just boom.
2: And if I remember right, that was a weird one where like the solution was to disable some. Some different plugin. I think it was disable the the new Behat plugin, and then suddenly it's back. Yeah, that was the well, EAP so before.
0: Stuff. That's it. That's We're exactly. Nothing. I had that. T- yeah. See, it's just not the the EAP is just not that stable. It's it's stable enough to where all use it. But what I do is I install them all into versioned folders, and then link one to my current version. So if it ever gets bad, I just blow away the link and link to an older version. I'm good to go.
2: Did you guys ever experiment with Adam when that came out? No. Only when it first came out, so I don't think I don't feel
1: like I have a very good um understanding of what it's like now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: With PHP Storm though, I pulled up Sean's video. One of Sean's videos. He was well. I can't remember which video it was, but he was using PHP Storm, and I swear it's like I don't have the same PHP Storm y'all have or something no. like. You it have looks, to tweak it a
2: lot. You have to, to own it. it. Where you
0: want. It's a long term. It's a long term situation. Long-term it just is.
1: That's funny.
2: It's worth Keeler, it. I know you're trying it out. Like, has it stuck at all or no? Not at all. Um, like, you yet. said you hated Vagrant for months and then suddenly Homestead came out. So yeah, are we going to see some kind of I... Taylor-specific PHP Storm syntax or something i doubt it but i mean gosh never (laughs) say never
1: um i i just need to own it i need to own it i think like i'm i'm just downloading it and opening it and i see all these things that i don't understand and i'm just like you hide all of it at least my
2: approach is like almost treat it like it's vim so the cool thing is every single thing is configurable so any if you don't like some kind of error highlighting you can hide it completely so i get rid of Every single icon, I get rid of the sidebar. I get rid of the tabs. I break it down to where it's almost exactly like Sublime if you hide the sidebar. Sure. I couldn't and agree then with I'm, Jeffrey
0: Moore. This is, this is exactly what I think about PHPStorm. Yeah. The
2: and then Uh-oh. because I use Sublime for so long, and I still do, I map all of the Sublime shortcuts like Command-P and stuff like that. I map that over to PHP Storm so that if I need to switch between the two, which I do, it's you know I, it's fine. There's no problem there remembering what the shortcuts are. But it takes a while. It takes – I played with my installation for hours getting it exactly the way I wanted it to. Yeah. Gosh,
1: maybe that can be my next Laravel week, getting my uh, PHP Storm up to par. (laughs) Um, Also, though, uh, with Sublime Text, I saw that there was that recent um, update on the forums that not only was – uh the guy's still working on it, but he actually has plans for a Sublime Text four, which was interesting.
2: He does that guy's pretty crazy. I think he basically does everything on his own. I think he has one helper dude or yeah. or a woman, but I think it's just mostly support. He's like the editor version of you, Taylor. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's like, not very vocal. Like I never no, see on not. Twitter. He doesn't
1: talk very much. No, he's like up in some monastery somewhere. He does have a lady that uh Uh, like one staff member that I guess, um, she said she manages, I guess, kind of the day to day business operations, which I'm guessing means like payments and, and, you know, business stuff. But that with Sublime Text 4, he planned to hire more people to work on the, on the software itself. I don't know. So who knows?
2: You do wonder why he doesn't promote it a little bit more. It's like Sublime is so good. It's a little weird that, like, he's just kind of nowhere to be found, and from what I see, there's not much marketing other than just word of mouth, which which I guess is the best, but it still seems like, man, you should be promoting this a little bit more. Or I think about, like, TextMate. TextMate was, like, the de facto editor for the Mac years ago, and it completely disappeared. It's just weird. Like, how does that happen? I know uh TextMate 2 came out, but it was, like, totally different, and it was years too late, and it wasn't as good as even the original at the time because they were rebuilding everything. It's just so sad to think, like, how did that happen? Or the same thing, like, with Blockbuster. I think about Blockbuster all the time. How did Blockbuster go through the tubes? Wasn't there somebody <laughs> at the company that was thinking, like, man, yeah. we got to be careful with this? But no, like, Netflix comes around, Hulu. And Blockbuster, like, they're just – I don't know. It's Done. like they're – over. I know. They have, like, all of their energy invested into that old model that nobody is sitting there thinking, actually, this is this is kind of going away. We need to push this new thing. I have no idea why we're talking about Blockbuster. <laughs> I think it's maybe, actually super relevant. But it's basically relevant. the same thing as Sublime.
0: <laughs> it, it's, it, this is just the, the nature of the things, that, and we have a lot to learn from this, really. <laughs> if it, what happens is I think that you have this infrastructure that's built up, and it needs to be supported – And you're kind of – you become a little bit of a slave to try to feed into the best interests of others or other groups or other parts of the machine. And, you know, you lose by being – virtue of being popular and, uh, you know, thoroughly used, like, for example, Laravel. I think that you fundamentally do lose freedom to just go crazy and be out in left field. Do what you think is right, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Or like where, in the case of Blockbuster, anything out of left field would almost be opposite of their main business model, and they can't have that. But I don't know. I think about it a lot.
0: Taylor, how do you handle the – you were talking earlier about the stagnation of Laravel and how you really want to make sure that that doesn't happen. How do you handle the fact that it needs to not change very much? But yeah. do, you, do you generally feel like you really wish you could do a lot more, or how does that mm. work?
1: Good question. Not so much with the internal aspects. However, um, as you will see at Laricon EU, uh, there is quite a few changes to the, the, like the default app structure in Laravel slash Laravel, which that's kind of a, as far as the internal, like framework core goes, so to speak, that's not really a concern of the framework. Like it doesn't really care how all that stuff is organized. But in terms of the default app, layout that we're shipping to people, I feel like is pretty dated and it's ins- maybe inspired by ideas that are kind of falling out of use or were really Rails ideas that, um, you know, are, are, I don't know, just falling out of use, I would say. And the terminology is not good as we've long discussed, you know, in my book and in various other books. Um, the whole idea of having this folder just simplistically named models is kind of weird and, um, uh, there's just a few other strange things about it it's just very rails inspired and i feel like it's very dated so with laravel 4.3 we are going to make some changes on that front um i don't feel like the laravel core has anything that just jumps out to me it's every time i see it it's just an eyesore like i wish it wasn't this way because it really is kind of a flexible system at the heart of things um just the way things are set up with the with the container and all that but, yeah, the Laravel app structure is going to change quite a bit. And the cool thing about that is, um, like you said, things can't change too much or it's just a pain. But since the app structure is not really like a core thing, I can actually keep it entirely backwards compatible with 4.2. So basically there will be no backwards compatibility breaks with your 4.2 apps because you don't really have to move to this new app structure. I mean, you can if you want to with your 4.2 app. But uh all new four three apps will kind of ship with this a little bit different structure uh to them by default.
2: So if I wanted to upgrade, like for example the Laracast code base is four two, if I yeah. wanted to upgrade to four three, I could stick with the existing directory structure and yes. there'd be no problem.
1: Yep. I actually upgraded a four two app just to verify that. Um yeah, it just took me, you know just a few minutes to upgrade from 4.2 to 4.3 and I didn't adopt any of the new directory layout ideas. It was just, I just kept it. And because I mean, a lot of people rearranging the directory structure is not like a high priority thing. If you, I mean, you might already have your own custom directory structure you like. Um, so it's just kind of something you can not upgrade immediately, but take advantage of the other Laravel 4.3 features that have nothing to do with that. Uh, and then when you get, you know, some spare time, you can say, I, I guess we'll move to the new, uh, folder structures if you want. So, but for all new kind installs, of, that's what you'll have, right? Yeah. The new installs and kind of like, okay, this is kind of our new thinking on how we think it just a, a decent default layout it should be shipped, uh, will be in 4.3. And of course the same, you'll have the same ability to change all that up if you want, but it just makes more sense. Like I, when, when I look at Laravel four 4.3, and I type, let's say I have the Laravel installer thing, and I type Laravel new blog or Laravel new app, I'm not probably not going to change anything in this whole directory structure right now, like just looking at it. Um, I feel like it's just a really solid setup for any kind of app. I mean, even if it's just a simple CRUD app or like a more advanced, um, robust app.
2: Speaking of Laravel new, like I get a lot of comments where people are going, wait a minute, how did you do that? If, <laughs> yeah. For anyone listening, if you don't know what that is, just go to the installation guide. I don't mean to be condescending, but it's like literally the, the installation tab in the documentation will show you this little downloadable utility that you can use. And that yeah. way, from then on, you just say Laravel new and then your project name, and it will immediately scaffold a new project. And it's way faster than if you built it through Composer. So you'll be up and running in like 10 or 15 seconds. It's pretty nice. Yeah,
1: That's on my list of things to um. Right now it's a it's a FAR file, like a PHP archive file, but I want to convert it to be like Envoy where it's just like a global composer install file. It's just easier to maintain. And the libraries to build those FAR files are, I wouldn't say they're like abandoned, but they're just not super um, highly maintained. So I want to move it to that and then just kind of promote that a little more because that is pretty nice. And it, it builds, um, what it does basically is it composer installs every night and builds a zip file so that you always have a pretty fresh installation of I mean a nightly build basically and then so it just downloads that zip and unzips it but all your composer dependencies are already were already zipped up with the package so it's just like super fast to to get a new project
2: it's yeah, pretty
1: but with, cool but with Laravel 4.2 I feel like um not to beat the dead horse too much but when I came into a Laravel 4.2 app or really just 4.0 plus app Um, I immediately, like, started deleting directories and, like, setting up various namespacing things and composer things on every project. And we were even – I mean, it was even to the point where we were basically recommending, like, changing the default thing. Even in the documentation, we were recommending, like, if you have a project that's even a little bit non-trivial, you're going to want to have – these custom service providers and you're going to want to do this and you're going to want to do that and you want to get rid of your models directory. So it's just like if we're to the point where the documentation is recommending these that's kind of al- alternative things like maybe we should just kind of change a few things up. So that's better by
2: default. That's true especially when the default install it like it talks about service providers but the default install doesn't really encourage you to use them unless you no. already know what they are. So that'll be no, nice not thing. at all. I think it it's it's really good. I think it may be a little jarring for folks at first, but like yeah. we're talking 5 or 10 seconds and then you're good, you know. There will be a little bit of that like, "Oh, where's where's this directory?" But once you figure it out, you're done and you'll be in a better place. I yeah. Think. It's
1: just faster overall. It's just faster to develop in, it, it's faster to find things.
2: More intuitive. Yeah. It
0: actually teaches you how to use it actually.
1: Yeah, it teaches you how to really use Laravel instead of just, like right now, um, I don't want to give it too much away because part of the fun is the Laracon stuff, but right now, like, um, say you want to register like some event listeners, like there's, there's nowhere to do that besides like cramming it. You could cl- cram it in a start file, like start global, but those start files are just like bloated flat files that get, if you have a project that's even just a little bit complicated are going to, you're going to want to get, organize those and get maybe even organize them into service providers. So, yeah, it's just better overall. And you don't have to just basically come into a fresh project and start deleting stuff.
2: Or people add them to their routes.php file and, yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Which is fine for small stuff, but. (laughs) Yeah, it really helps the
0: problem of, like, where do I put this?
2: Routes.php is the (laughs) go-to. Oh, Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's going to solve that problem a lot, which has always been a huge problem. I mean, since Laravel one, it's been where do I put
0: this class, where do I put that class? So yeah, this should hopefully solve a lot of a lot of issues. Well, that sounds really really cool, and I really love how the new service provider stuff is. So I'm I'm excited about it coming out. Yeah, for sure. There's you some stuff what? I haven't I... told you about, Sean. I
1: think it's, I'm going to show at Laracon. That's I haven't shown Jeffrey either, but it's going to be really cool. I think for anyone that uses events.
2: Nice. Real quick, though, like, on that note of service providers, just from me running LayerCast, I've learned that the term is a little scary to people. Like, they don't really understand what it is. This new thing is going to help you. Like, you're going to get it like that. So if that term is weird to you, like, it's not. It's pretty basic stuff. It's just kind of a bootstrap. You'll learn to like this. And I think it's going to make you a better developer because you're going to learn, like, all oh, right, this is a good place to do this stuff rather than always defaulting to global.php for everything, which isn't a good idea. You know, it's, it's kind of – I call it lazy programming. It's like, oh, you don't want to deal with it. Just throw it in there and sweep it under the rug. So yeah. this will help you a lot.
1: I feel like this is a one – one way to put it would be to say this is a sustainable directory structure so that um, the default directory structure that we've had in the past was – fine for small apps, but it wasn't sustainable for something like anything real, basically, like um, a Snappy or a Forge or anything you're building that has any size to it. And I think this is a, a directory structure that is sustainable, even on large applications would
0: be a, a fine directory structure to even stick with and not change at all. Very cool. What else we got? Matt Machuga asked a question. Uh, how do you discuss ideas like um, ideas like in the in a technical sense like um what you do in an engineering context without sounding like you're in a fight or or seeming like you're squabbling, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This
2: you mean, how do you so disagree with topics. people? Yeah, yeah it's it.
0: not just disagree cuz I think in order to really kind of get at the meat of of an idea, you have to play the best cards you have. And so maybe you believe in a certain thing and somebody else believes in something else. And it's not that you're trying to really defend yourself. You're just trying to represent the ideas that you have as well as you can so that, you know, in the, in the battlefield, you can derive new information. I, I just think that, yeah. for example, on Twitter, this happens all the time. You'll be discussing ideas and you're not sure if people are angry or what's going on.
1: <laughs> you know, where you see this just as much as programming is parenting.
0: Oh, it's worse. It's see, so much worse. And it's
1: the exact same thing. Like, it's hard to express an idea without feeling like you're in, or the other person you're feeling insulted is, or
2: something. Yeah.
1: yeah. I don't know. That's so hard to do.
2: I think just it's ridiculous but i think just making smiley faces is enough (laughs) or like there's some guys on twitter that'll like if you're worried that somebody's going to take it the wrong way just tweet them and say just so you know you know because it's really hard with text you really don't know if they're being arrogant or or condescending or what and usually most of the time everyone is being nice like nobody is really trying to be cruel but sometimes I don't know if it's our own things, like we interpret it that way as being a little more aggressive than we think. And in reality, everyone has a smile on their face. I'm a big fan of just smiley faces,
0: but yeah. I sound like a kid. I think there's also like a English as a first language type barrier there sometimes. Um, I see that a lot like living where I do now. Sometimes people can be communicating on Twitter or something and it comes across a little bit differently tonally than maybe you would expect or, or maybe that they feel.
1: Yeah, sometimes it does. Sometimes it comes across more like um uh less like friendly conversation and more like monotone terse, like serious. You know yeah. what I mean?
0: Well we all lived or lived slash live in, in the southeastern United States, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's like yeah, a it's very a cultural thing. Yeah. It is huge because
1: like I I've noticed that too, like um
0: uh
1: even like honking at someone down here in the south would be it's like rude a big offense like you would have to do something pretty bad i feel like and people would react like oh my you just honked at me like they would freak out i feel i mean might even flip you off
2: just for a honking at you no, so, it's true. It's so funny you brought this up. I was talking to my wife like two days ago about how annoying I think honking is because most of the time yeah. when people honk, it's like, all right, that wasn't necessary. You should honk if it's like, all right, you're about to get in a wreck. But people yeah. sometimes <laughs> honk for no reason. It's like, is your life that bad that you have nothing better to do than honk because you had to like wait for half a second before, you know, the person in front of you started going? It's, and I think it really is a cultural thing because, like, for example, When I worked at uh, Envato before this, they're an Australian company, and it's just a little bit different. They're a little more direct. So they're a little more like I'm just going to tell you as it is, and uh, if it hurts your feelings, then fine, but you need to hear this. That's a little more of that. And where like in America, especially in the South, it's more like I'd rather not hurt your feelings, so I won't say anything at all, which maybe is worse, but it's just a (laughs) different cultural thing. But it it is true. There's a difference there. Some places honking is a
1: courtesy. Like it's offensive I mean it's it's a courtesy to honk to let them know like, oh, we can go now. I mean I've I've heard of people in other countries saying that about honking and it it, kind of the same way, like um sometimes I feel like me personally, I have a hard time not taking every programmer honk personally, so to speak. Like if they mention something that hey, this I think this different idea, like it's hard not to take it like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just honked at me like that. You know what I mean? But to them, it's probably like just like friendly courtesy, like honk, honk, here's a different idea. But I don't know. That's really cheesy. Well,
2: no, no, it's valid. I think the hard thing is like it's all of the above. So there are some people where it's just friendly honks. And then there are some people where sometimes it feels like it's less about like helping you out or presenting ideas and more about like putting themselves above your code and that's where sometimes I have a problem with it. It does feel that way with certain people. And I, I guess that's just a normal thing, you know. Twitter represents all of us, but I pick up both.
0: Well, excellent. Speaking of opinionatedness, what do you guys think? I, I know that, T- Jeffrey, you've, you've worked with it. Taylor, uh, did you mention that uh, you haven't really had a chance to pick up much with PHP spec lately?
1: No, I
2: haven't able to look at it. I want to look at it. Everyone Taylor, says it's Taylor, awesome. you and I were talking about PHP spec like a year and a half ago. We were <sighs> Yes. Oh, you're in trouble. I know. I need uh-uh.
1: to, I'm this, really behind on PHP testing. Uh, I use PHP Unit and mockery, and of course, sometimes PHP Unit mocks. But yeah, I need to get up on the PHP spec. Awesome sauce, apparently.
2: I really like it. Like, it, it's the key is it's not for everything. So with PHP unit, like, if you want to do isolated unit tests, you're good. If you even want to do things like functional testing, like, like, Laravel has all of those helpers, like, um this call or this assert response. Okay, that's cool yeah. with PHP unit. PHP spec's not for that. It really is for, like, these isolated tests where you're more interested in in the messages that one object sends to another as opposed to just kind of coming, going more from an outside in point of view. Like for that you would use, I don't know, presumably Codeception or Bahat or or PHP unit if you want. But if you just want to break it down to thinking about behavior and messages, PHP spec has been really beneficial for me. Hmm. Also it's really like like Sean was saying, it's super opinionated. So it's going to uh (laughs) kind of like you said, it's going to honk at things that you think should be perfectly normal. But from what I've seen like when it's honking, it's kind of steering you in the right direction. So, for example, like, as a Laravel user, if you're trying to create a, a PHP, PHP spec test that uses facades, it's going to be tough. So, yeah. instead, it's going to encourage you to, instead, like, inject the underlying class behind the facade into this class, the way you normally would in your domain. Yeah. So, just little things like that can really help. Plus, of course, it has just some of the, the better syntax. Uh, so, things like I don't know, this method and then you specify the argument should return. So when you write that, I know it's hard to visualize that. Think this method, whatever arguments you expect it should return this array. So when you do that, it will automatically set the expectation for you rather than having to use something like mockery. So Mm. from that way, it's sort of like, it's sort of like Laravel where within your test, you, you type hint whatever you want to mock. So if you need like, um, You want to set an expectation on a file system class. You would type in file system within your test method, and then Mm -hmm. behind the scenes, PHP spec will automatically mock it so that you can set your expectations on it. So it it can simplify your code quite a bit.
1: That's interesting. So now is it using, I mean, is it like its own test system? It's not using PHP unit or anything like that under the hood?
2: I don't think so, no.
0: No, it's running its own assertions, but it uses Prophecy, which is basically its sister project for mocking. And Prophecy okay. is really what will kick your butt. The rest is PHP spec is pretty lenient and everything, but when you're dealing with mocking and everything, uh, it's kind of crazy. The thing about PHP spec is really interesting because it's this... What PHP spec actually is is basically a system that wraps everything ever Um So when you call this and the the role function, it's actually going to r- run that role function against your class but it does that by you know Intercepting that call and then it runs it on your class and then it wraps the response in a in a type of uh, Another type of object that you can then call assertions against so Uh, it, it's actually kind of weirdly complicated in how it works, but at the same time, the code's really easy to read and understand, and it's, there's not a lot of it. It's a, it's a simple application, really well written.
2: I found that confuses a lot of people.
0: Uh, What, the part that's wrapping everything?
2: Yeah, so like, for people listening, imagine that you have some kind of test class, like, I don't know, uh, file system test or whatever. So when you reference the this keyword within that test class, it's not ultimately going to refer to that class behind the scenes they're doing a little bit of trickery so that it's actually going to refer to the actual file system class that you're testing so that can be a little tricky but but once you just accept okay that's what it does it actually makes for pretty readable code and it actually makes for like how you would use it in real life so it's good documentation in that way
0: and the thing about it is, is the PHP spec tests are so much easier to read, in my opinion. I have basically completely switched to PHP spec because our shop is basically all TDD now and uh, PHP spec is perfect for that. But if you're going in working in some uh, legacy system that really can't be Tested um, using like prophecy and whatnot because of the limitations it has, the intentional limitations, then you really still are going to have to use PHP unit. Um, I, I think that PHP spec is really only useful if you're either taking a test first approach or some approach that is close to test first and discipline, etc.
2: Or, of course, like don't just don't use prophecy. Like if, if if you want to use PHP spec in that way, you can still pull in mockery and do. To manual mocking, uh, sorry, mocking, but it's sort of not what it was intended for.
0: Yeah, it's a little clunky because, <laughs> yeah, I can't talk. No, me too. <laughs> yeah, it's a little clunky because with PHP Spec, uh, you have this let method, and you can inject all these things and set expectations and determine how your objects built, and then reuse those same objects later in your other tests by just type hinting those same variables and everything. And, um, I think that prophecy and PHP spec really should go together. That's my opinion. I don't. I don't understand a situation in which you would really kind of use PHP spec in mockery. But what well, like I, don't I was saying, if, if still, you
2: have <laughs> if you have completed code that you want to test with PHP spec, that might be your only way. Yeah, so like possible. like you were saying, if you're doing TDD, then then yeah, PHP spec is a no-brainer. But if that code is already constructed and you don't have a huge amount of flexibility, or you're trying to write regression tests, then it's very difficult with PHP spec.
0: Well, I guess it's about time to wrap up. Thanks to you guys so much for for coming back on. It was nice to talk to you after such a long drought.
2: Yeah, good to talk to you guys.
0: Thanks. I missed you. (laughs) Until next time. (laughs)